As is a tale, so is life. Not how long it is, but how good it is, is what matters. Please be seated. Words of the Roman philosopher Seneca, cited by modern-day grand magician and author of the Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling, in her commencement address to the newly minted graduates of Harvard University. I wish you all very good lives, are Rowling's final words, not hoping for them a life characterized by comfort and pleasure, but a life that is good for others. I wonder if that is a question you have wrestled with yourself now and again, the degree to which your own life is good for others. It's a question that is ever-present in Scripture, of course. This Sunday, it's Jeremiah's turn as he asks how on earth he could offer anything good for others as a spokesperson for God, given his young age. It resonates with Moses' appeal that his slowness of speech made him no match for the mighty Pharaoh, and with Isaiah's apparent belief that his unclean lips made him unworthy to speak of God at all. All the same, even the most casual reader of the Bible knows that God is having none of it. I have put my words in your mouth, God declares to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid. Might we begin to dare with Jeremiah that the same could be true of us, that we might also speak of God? As you consider that question, please do spare a thought this morning for our soon-to-be-blessed Sunday school teachers, sent out to be prophets in our own time, not to kings nor to rulers of armies, but to something far more terrifying, children. Who in their right mind would agree to confront a fourth group of fourth graders about the meaning of life? Of course, it would be convenient, wouldn't it, if it were only Sunday school teachers who had to beware the questions of a child. The truth is, none of us are safe. You could be assuming the sanctuary and calm of a rocking chair at Canuga, when unbeknownst to you, a gaggle of middle school girls might suddenly appear with questions about the book of Job and the meaning of suffering. Or perhaps you'll be cornered at coffee hour by a curious kindergartner who is keen to hear your explanation as to why there are four Gospels in the New Testament rather than just one. In fact, if you look around you now or any time this morning, it's likely a budding theologian is weighing you up even as I speak. The point is this, children are a gift to the church because, by and large, they're not afraid to ask questions, especially the ones grown-ups have forgotten to ask. Makes me think of a story I heard at a family funeral a couple of years back. As the deceased was approaching the end of her life, she began to share childhood memories with her pastor including the day when her baby brother was brought home from the hospital. As they entered the house, 
She asked her parents if she could hold the new arrival. When they said yes, she then asked if the two of them could be left alone. Her mum and dad, although a little nervous, agreed, but kept the door ajar so they could listen in. As the young girl cradled that precious new life in her arms, gently rocking him back and forth, she leaned in and asked, Tell me about heaven. I'm beginning to forget. Children help us remember where we come from. And given the opportunity, they will help us see what we have forgotten to see. That creation is brimming full with wonder and glory. That even the smallest creature is resplendent with God's majesty and awe. They help us see that acts of kindness to others are as natural as taking a breath. And that play, not work, is our most normal human state. Children will help us become holy, should we let them. They will teach us how to love, and they will help us remember how deeply we are loved too. If that's what we might see in them through the life of the church, what do you suppose they see in us? When I think back to my own childhood, going to church and visiting my grandmother's house seemed to have the same fundamental rule. Be invisible. <laughs> By and large, I was afraid of my grandmother. Never heard a shout. She never once raised a hand against me. In fact, it didn't take me too many years of life to stand as tall as she did in her diminutive frame. Yet my grandmother filled me with dread. As a child, my grandmother's house was a wonder, yet always one that was out of bounds. It was four floors high with a cellar below that I never did dare descend into. The reason for that was partly because I was convinced, as the 25th or so of her grandchildren, that the cellar was where she kept the remains of my various cousins who have dared to disobey her over the years. It was also because in my grandmother's house, most of the 30 or so rooms were out of bounds for little boys. Every once in a while, I'd catch a glimpse into one of them and steal a vision of fine furniture or a grand piano in the corner or paintings that the young could barely look at, let alone breathe near. Her home was to me like a small palace of glory and mystery a museum of sorts with trinkets from my missionary great-grandparents in China and collection pieces from my eccentric great-aunts' assortments of knickknacks from Victorian Britain. That line from the letter to the Hebrews we heard this morning might have well have been emblazoned on the doorframe of the front door. You have come to something that cannot be touched. <laughs> A blazing fire. As much as I loved to go, and especially to sing in the church choir, church was similarly an out-of-bounds place with endless, fascinating objects from which I had to keep my distance. And to me, the adults who were busy being religious often felt the same. 
in many ways, we know that this picture of distance isn't true of all saints. Just attend Canuga one year and watch hundreds of children and youth roam freely and happily the wilds of camp, and you'll see that children and youth of this parish have found in us a community where they know they can belong. Similarly, swing by church on a Wednesday night and see our own resident magician, Carol Kimmel, keep three choirs in line and their parents on time. Talk about a miracle. Here at All Saints, children play in water slides and learn to spit watermelon seeds. They hike mountains and camp on islands. They sing and pray and learn from teachers who love the old, old stories of Scripture, but love them even more. And that is so good and holy and right. But imagine if there could be more. Imagine not just these fine Sunday school teachers whom we bless today speaking of God with wonder and grace, but each of us helping the younger in our midst lead very good lives because we each have taken it as our vocation to be the spiritual village that raises these children. There are no special qualifications needed. No expertise to be attained, just the honest-to-God commitment we make to one another in baptism, that we will uphold one another in faith and help one another to grow into the full stature of Christ. Today, as we bless Sunday school teachers to walk on a path with our children and youth in this place, you and I are gifted the opportunity to join them on that journey to be fellow travelers, to wander with them where God is to be found and how goodness is to be given. Our lives have their origins in a blazing fire, an unspeakable glory that in the rush and tumult of the world outside is so easy to forget. Yet we can give thanks that here we are, in this church that is spiritual home to so many children and youth, and that through them we are among so many gifts of the Holy Spirit that will teach us how to live the most very good lives our hearts are capable of. May we be a community for all the ages of saints who find life on this block. Let us be the village that finds the blazing love of Christ in all the beloved people of God, one body, young and old, gifted with grace.